Well, today we're going to continue in a series called We Are the Body, okay? And if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 today. It's our main text. Now, if you're real savvy and on your phone you have the Bible app, uh, you can do it two ways. You can go to the live event, and uh, the live event, you'll see Calvary Church, click on it. All the notes from today will come up. The reason I say that is I have a lot of scripture today. We're going to focus on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, and, uh, but I've got a lot of other scripture to support this. You need to, to just make sure that you have this saved somewhere, somewhere uh, that, that you, can, you can go back to this and listen to this. Um, I will tell you this, that uh, if we had installed seat belts in our chairs, today might be the day to buckle up, buttercup, okay? <laughs> today might be the day, okay? Uh, today, I'm, as we're speaking on this message of we are the body, there are some truths that all of us in the body need to hear uh, re- regardless of whether or not we are comfortable with them. And I want to share this with you. Uh, I-, I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit today, like thrust by God to share this message with you. And I believe it will be a help. I believe it will spur you on to, to-, to faith in good works. Um, you know, if, if you're getting some, uh, uh, something out of this, you can say amen. Uh, if, if it's all about you, then you can shout out, oh, me. Okay, I don't care, whatever it is. But I, I'm telling you today that you, you, you need to be ready to receive what the Lord has for you. This message is very, very important about the body of Christ. And we're going to start today like we've been starting every week. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you are the body of Christ. All right, all right. Again, and you know, I don't know what it is with you people. Was it raining this morning? I must have been. Look at them and say it with some conviction. Say, you are the body of Christ. Prophesy over them a little bit. Now, here's what you need to understand. It's very important to understand what that means. That means that I am connected to Jesus in a meaningful way. And when Jesus is the head of the body, we then are his hands and feet. This is the way that I've been saying it for weeks. We are the expression of Jesus's redemptive ministry. And this this is what this means. When you want to find somebody who has been redeemed, Redeemed means bought back, like we were sold. We sold ourselves through sin and doing things our way into the slave market of sin. Jesus comes and pays the ultimate price and redeems us. When you want to find someone who has been changed, who has been transformed, who has a new nature, where old things are gone and now new things have come, you need to find the body of Christ. When you are looking for someone who is light in the midst of a dark world, find the body of Christ. When when you're... uh, need clarity in a time where you feel like nobody has it, you need to find the body of Christ. Why? Because we are the redemptive expression 
of Jesus. That means that he's still redeeming, he's still saving, he's still changing lives. And listen, everybody listen to me. Jesus is alive and changing lives today. And we, as the body of Christ, are an expression of that ongoing redemption. But we are also not only inwardly receiving it, but we are outwardly extending it. We are extending redemption to the whole world. Meaning this, it's not God's will that anyone ever would perish. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, you need to know that the stance of Jesus is not just arms spread wide on a cross, but it is a resurrected Jesus with arms extended to you, inviting you into his body. And when you want to see the arms of Jesus extended towards you, Find the body of Christ. But when you begin to understand that, that, um, that God is moving and God is doing some things, and I've been saying this for weeks, and I want it to get into our spirits. Hopefully some of you can quote this statement that I felt like the Lord spoke to me. That God is moving Calvary Church from an observational church to an influential kingdom. He is moving you. Not just the entity, okay? Not just... Uh, the, the, this, this, this somehow this conglomerate of people with, with elders and, and pastors. Not just that. I'm talking about you. He is moving you from being an observational church to an influential member of his kingdom where you have a profound influence on the world around you. And the way he is doing that is by connecting us meaningfully in his body. Now in Ephesians 4, last week, if you didn't get to listen to the message, go to calvary.online. You can listen there. You can watch on Facebook. It's on YouTube. If you want to see me in HD, I'll be right there on your screen, okay? You can listen to, to what happens, how we grow in our gifts. How, like if you want to grow in your gift, you actually connect to a gift. Ephesians 4, we're going to read that in a minute. There's five of them, and we'll read about connecting to those gifts and how we grow in our gifts, that each one of us has a gift from God, a grace on us, and that we shouldn't question those things, that God has set the members in his body just as he pleased. That means if you are a member of the body of Christ, it pleased him to make you the way that he made you, and he placed you where he wants you. Why? Because where he places you moves the body of Christ to where he wants her to go. So go back and listen to those messages. Today, there is something that we must learn to do as we are part of the body of Christ. And this is something that God, I mean, has just, had just put on my heart as I was teaching last week from Ephesians chapter 4. There is a little more. So we're going to look there today. Then I'm going to give you a lot of other scriptures as we make just two points today. And I believe it will be helpful to you. Let's look together. Ephesians 4 chapter, uh, chapter 4 verse 11. We'll begin there. And it says this, and if you don't have your Bible with you, we have the verses on the screen for you. And it says, and he, this is speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles. These are gifts. To be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that, now here's the purpose behind it, 
that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine or teaching by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But now this is what we do in light of God doing a work and making us a part of the body. Notice what it says. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth in the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, I realize that is a complete mouthful and, and uh, there's a lot to be uh, kind of pulled apart there, but I want us to really, we're going to focus in on verses 15 at first, we're going to focus in on Ephesians 4.15 because there's a couple of things that we do as a response to growing in our gift of beginning to understand who we are and how we've been created. There's a couple of things that we do as a body of Christ to maintain this, this element of becoming an influential kingdom. It is not enough for us to exist. The, the, the church is not to just exist, it is to thrive. Why? It is the full expression of a resurrected Jesus in the earth. All right, so how do we individually benefit from being in the body? It's right here, and this, this leads to what we are called to do. We benefit from the body first by learning to stand up. Now, I have five kids, okay? This is great. I, I, don't, I, you know, I don't know why, but I just, I, I just have an anointing for early walkers. I think it's because God wanted me to stay in shape, okay? Uh, you know, and, and like every one of our kids, man, they just walk so early. I think Mackenzie took her first step at seven months old. Okay. She was just a little baby. I think it's cause I was acrobatting the kids and throwing them around and doing all of the rest. I used to hold her straight out as a kid. She's a little acrobat and she would hold her back real straight and be out there at a 90 degree angle. Uh, it's probably why she has back problems today, you know, um, uh, but but what do we do as parents? We teach our kids, we teach them to stand up. Stand up. Ephesians 4 says this, when you're a part of the body, you speak the truth in love. And church, you need to listen to me. This is the hour when we must stand up. We learn to stand, listen, when we are meaningfully connected in the body. We need to learn to stand up by what? Speaking the truth in love. Let me, let me just say it to you this way. Being a part of the body of Christ prepares you to be a voice. It prepares you to be a voice you need to understand you are made to be a voice. You, you say, well, you just don't know my personality. I am not one that gets up in front of people. I'm nervous watching you talk in front of people. I get it. I get it. I heard about a study that was done to, to really gauge, uh, you know, 
uh, whether a person was an out front person or a person who preferred to be behind the scenes. And this is the question that they asked. If you uh, were at a funeral and you could only take one of two places, okay, would you be the person performing the funeral or would you choose to be the person in the casket? Most people chose the casket. Why? Because I'm behind the scenes. But I want to tell you something. When you really get born again and you become part of the body of Christ, you cannot, you cannot miss this. You can't get away from it. It has nothing to do with personality or gifting or anything. Each one of us are called to be a voice. When you get connected to Jesus, he will make you a voice. And what are you to do? Speak the truth in love. Now, the context of Ephesians 4, before uh, Ephesians 4, uh, uh, 4.15 is this. It's, it's false teaching that pollutes the, the, the purity of our faith in Jesus. He's saying, listen, there are cunning people. This is what Paul was saying. They're cunning. They look religious. In that day, they were the Pharisees. They wore long robes. They looked holy. And they came in, and they were trying to pollute the gospel and twist it and, and mess it up with works and add a sense of the cultural norms of the day to the gospel. This is where we are. You see, the Pharisees were kind of like the celebrities of the day. They were the famous ones. In a religious culture, they were the ones that were highly respected. They were like, you know, Brad Pitt in a flowing gown, okay? They, that's who they were. I mean, they would stand on the corners and they would utter these prayers in public and the people would look at them and they'd say, wow, they are holy. They are priests. They are set apart. And they, they kind of hold them in awe like they were untouchable and unreachable. And anything that they uttered was just kind of woven into the fabric of the human experience in Jew, Jewish culture. And Paul says, no, no, no. These guys are trying to weave cultural norms into the purity of the gospel and you need to reject it. Listen to me. It's happening now. It's happening now. It's happening now. And where everything in culture, there's many people that are just trying to say, oh, you know, why don't we just weave that into the church? We'll just have a, a level of mixture and acceptance, and we won't really address that. But I want you to know, we as the body of Christ and you who get meaningfully connected, who are called to be a voice, are called to respond to cultural norms with biblical truth. Not with how you feel, but biblical truth. I love it when all of these, uh, you know, big name pastors with huge followings are interviewed by people and they say things like this. What is your opinion about this controversial subject? And, and they say, well, my opinion is, and then they lay out their opinion. Well, opinions are kind of like armpits. Everybody's got them and most of them stink, okay? That's, that's my, yeah. 
But how many of you know that when something is clearly laid out in God's word and you're a part of the body of Christ, your opinion doesn't matter? Your opinion does not matter. It, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. It matters uh, that, that you understand as part of the body of Christ that I'm not even given the liberty to form an opinion on that. I have actually been handed the truth, and that's what I receive. Can I, just, uh, can I just give you a few? Let me give you a few. Just weaving it in. Culture says marriage is a secular bond between any two people. Wait, in a few days, there's going to be crazies come along. And crazies are going to say, two? Why so few? Why not three? Why not four? Why not five? And then more crazies are going to come along and say, why has it got to be human? See, y'all are chuckling because y'all are like, yeah, that's great. It's coming. It's coming. And here's the thing. It's trying to weave its way into the church that we are to somehow just, we just accept marriage in any form. I utterly reject that. Why? Because the truth about marriage was given to us by God. The truth of Scripture declares that marriage is a sacred, perpetual bond between a man and a woman. A man and a woman meant, from, meant to be lifelong. And, you, I, and listen, I'll be honest with you. I don't blame any community out there for fighting for more rights and, 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 and wanting to be able to visit you know, people that they love in the hospital. I don't do that. You know who I blame? Lazy lawmakers of both parties who took a word which was totally sacred called marriage. It appears in Genesis where God gives Adam Eve as a wife. God himself performs the first marriage and lazy lawmakers took a, a, a sacred word and put a secular definition on it and tried to redefine every reunion in the world with something sacred. They were lazy, didn't want to write new laws, and just change the definition overnight. And now marriage, I'm telling you, is going to quickly become everything that anybody wants it to be unless the body speaks truth in love. Notice what Genesis 2, through 24 says, Then the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made into woman, and he brought her to man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. Oh, I'm sorry. I actually read that in Hebrew. See, y'all just said, And she shall be called woman. Wrong. Hebrew... There's not a word that says woman, okay? Here's what it looks like in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it is ish-ha. It's like this breathy moment. Ish-ha. And it's like, here's what it was. Adam, God brings 
Eve, clothed in glory, And Adam just said, man, that's what he said. In Hebrew, it is man with an exclamation mark. And he's like, man. And God's going, I told you it wasn't good to be alone. And man has been serving woman ever since. Notice what it says in verse 24, though. It says, she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage is not only the, the, simply the joining of two households, but the spiritual union that requires God's dynamic in order to take two who were separate in order to make one. It is not simply putting any two humans of any sex together. It is actually taking a man and a woman who are submitted to God and said, God, I want you to weave us together and make us one as a declaration to the world of the relationship that you want with us. Did you know that's marriage? Marriage is given as a signpost to humanity saying this is what God wants with us. That's why God hates divorce. Because it doesn't look like the relationship he wants with us. Oh, that's good. I like how uncomfortable you're looking at me now. How about this one? Culture says unwanted pregnancies are just a clump of cells. Let me use another word. Culture says that unwanted pregnancies are parasites in a woman's body until she decides that it's time that it it will be a child. When you're a part of a body who study God's word, I know. Oh, I feel y'all getting uncomfortable. I love it. You know why I love it? Because we need to learn to speak the truth in God's word. And I promise you, if they were exterminating Jews in Germany right now, many of people in this room would get on a plane and fly and stand there at Auschwitz and say, the murders must stop. But since 1972, 60 million babies have been slain in the wombs of women. Just a minor inconvenience, right? No. We need to look and see what the scripture says. Listen, we can't form opinions based on feeling and based upon these, these, like, these, these uh, you know, situations where we can kind of see, oh, well, I can understand why they might, you know, take the baby's life and that, uh, that, that I could see why. And we try to reason and human reason tries to sneak in. But here's the thing. We need to develop our worldview from the word of God because we have to be able to speak truth. And what is the truth of God's word? Listen to Psalm 139. It says, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your 
book. They, were, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Listen to me. He says, God sees the substance of the unborn. And if God sees the substance of the unborn, they are not meaningless. Matter of fact, let me give you an illustration. In heaven, when, when life is conceived in a, in a womb, that life is matched up to a book that is full of days. A book that is already written. Psalm 139. Already written. And when that life is extinguished, the book is never opened. See, God had a plan for that life from the very beginning. You cannot, listen, you cannot build an opinion about these things based upon how you feel. It must be based on truth. Now, while, now listen to me. While I understand that in a room this size, it quite possibly there could be women in here who have gone through abortion and, and, and suffered, you know, a, as a result of it. And I will say this, God doesn't reject you. He loves you. He is so for you. Jesus not only forgives sin, you know what? He's so good, he'll even remove the shame. All of the weight of, the, of those choices made out of, you know, just human reasoning and all those things. I promise you, Jesus is so good that he will touch you and change you and transform you. But listen, this cannot be something that we are silent about. When you're a part of a body, you learn to be a voice. And what do you do? You speak truth in love. And I am delivering to you today truth in love. Notice what Jeremiah said. I want you to get this into your spirit. I believe this is the greatest plight of all humanity. I believe the abortion issue is standing on the wrong side of slavery. You need to hear me. Standing on the wrong side of slavery is the abortion issue of our day. And there need to be some Wilbur forces that are raised up in this day who will say it's wrong. And I'll stand and I'll be belittled and I'll be misunderstood, but I'm going to speak the truth in love. Why? Because Jeremiah, the, when he begins to hear the call of God on his life, notice what he hears. He says, this is what God says, before I formed you in the womb. Who's forming in the womb? It's God. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Oh, it's so good. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I set you apart. And I ordained you a prophet to the nation. God set a calling on a baby that was yet unformed. And he said, I was the one that was fashioning the child in the womb. Culture says it's a clump of cells. God says it's a plan to be lived out. It's a life that is to be show the glory and the demonstration of God's goodness and redemption. Don't be silent, be a voice. Speak truth in love. Now that I've got you groaning, let's keep going. Culture says, do whatever you want to do as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, right? I mean, I mean, we can just kind of reason that, right? We just say, okay, yeah, that's fine. I just, I, I, I just want to tell you, that the scripture stands in opposition to that. The truth of scripture says 
Willful sin will send you to an eternity in a place called hell. Do you hear me? You say, Pastor, this is, this is a hard teaching. It is. You know, but there is, there is coming a day when I won't stand before your face. I will stand before his face. And he will say, did you tell them? Did you awaken them with the truth? Did you share it in love? Did you, did you warn? Did you instruct? Did you tell them that they were called to be a voice to do the same? See, willful sin, I promise you, leads to eternal separation with, uh, from God. And here's, here's the truth of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Listen, this is just a list. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. When the Scripture says don't be deceived, that means that it is really easy to be deceived in this area. It's God saying, hey, don't be deceived. It says, neither fornicators... Do you know what that is? That's people having sex outside of marriage. It's sin and willfully it keeps you out of heaven. Unless you what? Repent and give your life to Jesus Christ and allow him to transform you and make things right with him. It says, listen, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters, that's putting something else in the place of God, nor adulterers, we know what that is, cheating in marriage, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous. Hello, covetous. Do you know what that is? That is the secret sin behind all of the entitlement that's sweeping our nation. Covetous means I see what that person has and I want it, so take it from them and give it to me. It's in the list of eternal separation from God. Can I tell you the truth today? Are you able to, are you able to, hand, I feel like Robert De Niro, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> but you can handle the truth, and a matter of fact, you are called to handle the truth when you speak as the body of Christ in truth to people. Nor covetousness, nor drunkards. You say, that, why is that in the list? So many sipping saints. Why is that in the list? God makes the list. I know, I know, I know, I know. We're all like, oh, well, you know, it's not a sin to drink. You know, I just wish everybody held all of the views of Scripture on drinking. All of them. Not just the ones you like. All of them. Do you know what that means? Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. Do you hold that view as well? Or do you just ignore that one? Oh, I'm blessing you good today. Blessing you good today. All right. Nor revilers nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. 
None of the people in this list. Now, I love the next verse. He says, and such were some of you, and you were washed. You used to be these things in every one of these lifestyles. And this is good news. This is good news because it doesn't matter what lifestyle you find yourself in, what sin you find yourself in, Jesus Christ is able to redeem and bring you out. However, do not think to yourself, I can do these things and make heaven. Listen, 2020, I have buried more people than in the 19 years that I have been here previously. I've seen more people go into eternity. You say, why? Why is that? I don't know. Other than every time I stand, into, stand in this place celebrating the life of one who has passed, who has followed Jesus, we're all reminded of what's really important. What really is important, because that one, if they could come back for one moment and give us five minutes of their time, they would look us in the eye and say, listen, I didn't talk about him enough. I loved him, but I didn't talk about him enough. I didn't give enough. I didn't, I didn't love enough. He is far greater than you could ever imagine. They would say, do everything you can for him. Live for him now. Repent now. Give him everything. Why? Because he's better than you know. He's better than you could see. He's better than you could perceive. I believe that I've been in these kind of moments where, where God is saying, listen, it's time to cleanse. It's time to get ready because God, I wa God wants to move us into being an influential church, not just one who is merely fighting for her rights, but one who would stand speaking the truth in love and living in a righteousness that, that actually declares to the world, there maybe is something way different about them. And I know that that may have been a heavy list to you. So in case you needed a heavier list, Revelation chapter 21, <laughs> verse 8. I love it. But the cowardly. I mean, because all these other ones, they're like big sins. And you may be sitting there crossing your arms and going, yep, yeah, I'm not on the big sin list. How about this one, cowardly? Are you cowardly about sharing Jesus? I bless you. Unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Truth. Sin separates from God the, others, the rest of the truth. And Jesus thought sin was a big enough deal that he left the, the friendly, wonderful abode of heaven and took on flesh and said, I will pay the price from what separates humanity from me. I will come and pay the price. All we need to do is repent and believe and receive the free gift of salvation through Christ. But listen, don't get it mixed up. Don't let these things weave into your life or into your theology. This is cunning and crafty people just trying to, to bring mixture. And I promise you, we're looking directly at the Word of God. Let me just kind of give you another one. Culture says, because they've reasoned it out. By the way, culture really doesn't like Christianity. Culture is okay with religion. Amen. Don't really like Christians too much. The reason is, is in Christianity... It's a kingdom with a king 
whose government knows no end. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. And anytime you answer to someone who is higher than Caesar, we got a problem with you. Culture says all religion leads to God. All religion leads to God. Here's what Jesus said, John 14, 6. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one, listen to me, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. And this is the truth of God's love. And listen, uh, I want to I wanna spur you on to love and good words. I want you to be, get excited about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and flow and miracles, signs and wonders and all the rest. But I, here's the thing. There are some things that we need to do in response to being a part of the body of Christ. And the first is to speak the truth in love. It's the whole counsel of truth. It's the kind that causes you to take an inventory of your life and says, wait a minute, I'm not, I, 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 I kind of reasoned out that maybe those people were moral people and good people and that they would just be in. No, there's a reason why we must preach the gospel, the good news. We must speak the truth in love. That's why we carry the gospel not only here locally, but worldwide. We as a church must be a voice that declares truth in love. Back in 2015, I'll never forget, it was right over here on my right. I was on day 18 of a 21-day fast. I was hungry. And this fast, don't let anybody ever tell you fasting is fun. Especially not this one. Fasting is effective. I love what fasting produces. I don't like fasting. I like eating. Filet mignon. I like eating. I was standing over there 18 days. It was 18 days of silence. I'm crying out, God, God, would you please speak to me day after day? I mean, 14 days. In the middle of this 21-day fast, listen, in the middle of this 21-day uh, so I'm fasting for a few days. The Lord says, that's it, nothing but liquid. So I was doing a, like, kind of like a Daniel fast, nothing but vegetables and, and, uh, and water. And God says, nothing but liquid for 10 days in the middle of this 21-day fast. And it's torturous because God wasn't speaking to me the way I wanted him to. And then on day 18, I mean three days left, he speaks to me. And not what I was asking for. But what he wanted to talk about, he said this, a deaf and mute spirit have been scheming against the church, but Samuel's are rising. He said, I am raising up in a time where the word of the Lord is rare and truth has been muddied down. He goes, I am raising up Samuel's, one who from a young age will hear the voice of the Lord and will stand in a dark hour and declare, this is what God has said and declared and done. And I love it because the time of silence was coming to a close. And God says there will be a time where the church, the church lifts her voice. And this is what we are called to in the body. And when you're a part of a body, you learn to stand. And speak the truth in love. And then lastly, you commit to grow up. 
You commit to grow up. Now, I know that's been a natural process for us. I mean, what do you do? You eat, sleep, learn, grow, do it. You know, and it's just a natural process for us. However, in the spirit, it's much different. You need to commit to grow up. We commit to grow up. Look at verse 15, the end of it. It says, speak the truth in love, uh, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. We have to commit to growing up, but many in the body of Christ and many in our culture have stunted their spiritual growth by feasting on a steady diet of worldly wisdom and flesh-driven entertainment. Scripturally speaking, we, we mature by what? First, developing an appetite for God's word. First Peter 2, uh, 2, 3 says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If you want to begin to commit to the maturing process in the body of Christ, you've got to commit to understanding the basics. The basics of Christianity, of, of how you're born again, of sin, of what Jesus came to do. You understand the basics. And by the way, the basics is all that, that, all that you need. A, a four-year-old, a five-year-old can receive Christ and understand the basics. It's the pure milk of the word that you grow thereby. However, you don't live on milk your whole life. You don't live on milk. And in the spirit realm, you can actually grow up a little bit and actually regress by just turning your back on the maturing process. By the way, your age has nothing to do with your spiritual maturity. I've heard about eight-year-olds raising the dead in Indonesia. I haven't caught up yet. I'm serious. They heard a story about someone who was prayed for and literally raised from the dead. These eight-year-old boys, five of them, got together in Indonesia, the largest Muslim nation in the world by population. And these boys heard the story about someone being raised from the dead. They're believers, Christians. They got together and prayed, heard about someone dying and said, let's go pray for them and see what happens. And these eight-year-olds went and raised the dead. How many of you know that's pretty spiritually mature? Hello. What are we arguing about? What are we trying to possess in this world as the body of Christ? Are we really uh, just people who are just kind of fighting for our own rights? Or are we people who are saying, I want to be a divine influence for the kingdom? We mature by doing God's word. Hebrews 5, this is wonderful. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes of only milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who can, who, listen to these words, by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. He's saying, listen, those who are in the maturing process are taking the truth of God's word and actually applying it to uh, situations where decisions need to be made. He says, it's by what? Reason of use. You mature by doing the word. You don't mature by just hearing more messages. 
You mature by saying, okay, I've heard, and now I'm going to do. Now I'm going to step into this. I'm terrified. I'm not sure I got it all down, but I'm going to step into it. And there's a maturing process that takes place. And by the way, if you want to understand the milk, the elementary things that everybody is supposed to go on, to, to move on from, this will blow your mind. In first service, I said this to, Calvary, uh, to Pastor Carl because this is basically elementary, according to Hebrews 6. So everybody K through 5 should have this all down. So it means everybody in this room, you've got a firm grasp on these six things. All right? Hebrews, it says, therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles, we're moving on to spiritual calculus. We're going to move on. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again. Here it is, the elementary principles. The foundation of repentance from dead works. Do you know what that is? Of faith toward God. Can you explain that? Do you know the doctrine of baptisms? The multiple baptisms. Do you know the doctrine of laying on of hands? Are you smarter than a fifth grader? Do you know uh, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead? Do you know the doctrine of eternal judgment? You know what this is described in Hebrews? These, these two passages, they're right next to each other. One is five, the end of five. This is the beginning of six. Those topics are described as milk. What? Milk. And some of you are like, huh? What? Do you see the reason why we need to be connected in the body? We need to be connected and we need to commit to this process of maturing in Christ. Not just saying, oh, I'm going to leave that to pastors. I'm going to leave that to those spiritual gifts lifted. No, no, no. Spiritual gifts are for the equipping of you, the saints. All of us get equipped. And then we all do the works of ministry. When you do this, here's the sign of maturity. Anybody, anybody know the sign of maturity? When you take personal responsibility, that's a sign of maturity. When you take personal responsibility. I used to tell young people this way, how do I know I'm mature? Um, when you know the time to act immature, then you're maturing. When you know there's time to play, but then there's other times when you do what is necessary to do. You say, why is that important that you know? Well, we mature by taking responsibility and for stewarding the gifts that God has put in us. Ephesians 4 says, it says, from the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which, listen, every part does its share. When we mature 
as the body of Christ, we're all doing our part. We don't all have the same function, but we're all doing our part. The body is strengthened. The body is built up. The body is nourished. The body is what? Speaking the truth in love. The body is constantly maturing. There's babies in Christ. There's teenagers in Christ. There's those who can really handle the word of God, and they're pouring it into other people, and other people are getting steadied, and other people are, are, are saying, man, I'm not going to be tossed to and fro by cultural opinions and cultural things. No, I'm going to stand firm. You see, when the body of Christ learns to speak up and commits to grow up, then God's praises go up. I'll finish with this, Ephesians 4, 10 and 11. This is what it says. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability with God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. He's saying, listen, as you are taking responsibility for your gift, as you are stewarding your gift, as God begins to move through you and you begin to minister to the body and minister to other people, as you speak the truth in love, as you commit to maturing and God, I want to understand more. I want to know you more. I want to know more of the truth of the word. God, I don't want to live by my opinion, but God, I want to live by your truth. And as you're doing that, here's what happened. It says, it says that in all things, God will be glorified through Jesus. The praise of God will go up as the people of God speak up and grow up. Yeah, yeah, amen. And we do our part. 